my pleasure to bring uh, to this platform a dear friend of ours. Many of you know him, have grown to love him. Pastor Jeff Lyle pastors an incredible life-giving revival-centered church, the church at Winder. And it's an honor to have him and his precious wife, Pastor Amy, with us tonight. And uh, yeah, it's a joy to have you guys. Pastor Jeff is also uh, a staff member here at Christ Fellowship as well with the Caneo Ministry Training Center, the chief operating officer of that. So he, he pastors and he helps us and he's doing a phenomenal job and we love him. Thank God for him. And I want you to help me welcome to this platform a friend of God and a friend of all of ours, Pastor Jeff Lyle from the Church of Winder. Y'all don't lose your excitement. I just want to. I just want to stay here for a moment. You can be seated. Go ahead and be seated. Let's just stay here for a moment. All the revival pastors that Pastor Todd welcomes to preach were all different, and I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna be me. I, I kind of meander my way. Bishop Lance, he thunders. Pastor Robbie, he just like is like a lightning bolt of the Word of God. Pastor Don, he just kind of owns the room when he walks in, and uh, I'm a little bit more like Elmer Fudd, so y'all just give me a second here. Let's just listen for the Holy Spirit for a moment. Can we do that? I want to say that uh, I'm in full agreement, both, both in the natural and in the spirit with what Pastor Todd said about, I think he used the term getting brassy. Um, this is a season for the North Georgia revival. For all of you that labor here, all of you that receive here, all of you that are watching on ISN and you've been 214 week, now 215 week, viewer of what the Lord's been doing. And I believe because it is about to be elevated, that the flame's not getting dimmer, it's getting higher and hotter, that there is a, a pre-launch by the enemy. Let me tell you who often notices a move of God before the church does, the demonic realm. And it's because they have watched God work since there were human beings on earth for God to work on their behalf. They're not omniscient, they're not omnipresent, but they've been around a minute and they can see when the Lord begins to stir something at a level that is uh, beyond their ability to respond to. So they launch a preemptive assault. And usually it's done through humans because the last thing a demon wants any of us to know is that that demon is in the room. The last thing a demon wants to do is draw attention to itself. The only time you'll see a demon draw attention to itself, it's when it's about to get evicted out of somebody. So demons like to lie low. But when they recognize, man, I'm feeling it right now. When, when they recognize, when they recognize that some territory 
that they have enjoyed as their own for a long while is being encroached upon. I mean, they're already mad about what God's been doing for 215 weeks up in this place. And, what, and, and, and here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. The leadership here heard the Lord say, export it. Export what God is doing at the North Georgia Revival. Take it to Louisiana. Take it to Kentucky. Take it to the West Coast. Take it to Indianapolis. Take it to Illinois. Take it wherever you go. Wherever there's a door, take it. Don't ask questions. Just go. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The enemy is angry about all of that. And so what he's doing in many ways, and I'm not here to glorify him. I know that our job is not to sit all night and talk about the enemy, but I'm, I'm just going to, I'm giving you kind of a preface to what I'm going to do because I, I, I need some permission. I'm, I'm actually not going to wait on you to give me permission. I'm just going to do it, but I'm going to honor you by saying, I want your permission. I want your help tonight because I'm mad. I'm like mad. Say, well, Jeff, don't know, man. Being angry is a sin. No, the Bible says be angry, but don't sin. The Bible doesn't say being angry is a sin. It says when you get angry, don't sin with it. So there's a righteous and holy anger. And if it needs to be directed anywhere, it ought to be directed into the realm of the demonic world and into those systems that the demonic realm harnesses to do its work. And I'm going to give you a very specific laser focal point that I'm angry about tonight. I am angry, and it's already been mentioned by Pastor Marty and Pastor Todd, and we did not coordinate earlier. Mad at the spirit of religion. No, you don't understand. I am mad at the spirit of religion. And I know we talk about it all the time, and I know that, that all of us have a distaste for it. But there's a reason why I'm extra mad at it. It's because that's the pool, the cesspool that I came from. You see, I'm, I, I'm not a charismatic by birth. I paid a great price to be able to wear the title charismatic. I was trained as a denominational individual who was taught, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker, that all the stuff that happens here, I, I would have been first in line to say, that's not of God. I would have been probably the first in line because I was, a, I was brassy back then in the wrong way, but I was brassy back then. I would have been the first in line to say, it's not only not of God, it's of the devil. I probably would have stood up in my ignorance and my foolishness back in those days and said, Todd Smith and Marty Derricott and Karen Smith, they're a bunch of apostates who need to get saved. That's what I probably would have said in that day. Why? Because I had a deep, deep soul infection. I read the parts of the Bible I already agreed with and ignored the parts that I couldn't agree with. And let me tell you something about the spirit of religion. I'm going to get in the Bible tonight. It'll It'll, it'll be a moment, but I'm going to get in there. The spirit of religion will fight hard and denounce, usually at a distance, by the way, keyboard warriors. Spirit of religion will denounce anything it can't understand, control, explain, or replicate. Do you hear that? Spirit of religion will fight and denounce anything it can't control, understand, explain, or replicate. Because enthroned in the spirit of religion are two things, intellect and control. Meaning God can't do anything outside of my capacity to understand it. If I can't understand it, it must not be God. 
And God can't do anything that I can't control because I don't want something breaking out in my church that gets beyond my ability to control. And usually the thrones of the spirit of religion are pulpits. And from that place of spiritual authority, there is, and by the way, I, I hate to say this, these are sometimes our brothers and our sisters in Christ. It's not that they didn't get the gospel right, it's that they don't get the kingdom right. They can tell you how to be saved, but then they don't know what to do with you. When you get saved and the Holy Spirit starts telling you, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. And you keep hearing that whisper and listen, some of you are born mavericks and misfits. There's a podcast named that, by the way, but some of you are born mavericks and because you're mavericks in a setting of the spirit of religion, you find yourself as a misfit. So there's a part of me tonight that is taking a swing at the enemy. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not my primary issue tonight. But let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to scream. And so is she. I'm going to yell. If you came here for exegesis, I forgive you. That's not what I'm doing tonight. Show up in Caneo. Get in Caneo, year one, year two, year three, year four. You want to learn how to exegete a text and what that means? Get in Caneo. You are the steward of your own edification. God's doing some great things in Caneo. Tonight, if the certain Caneo professors wanted to, they could grade what I'm about to do and probably give me an F in hermeneutics. But hopefully they'll give me an A-plus in breakthrough tonight because that's what I want for all of us. Listen. Pastor Todd, Pastor Todd can't be the only one who carries a tenacity in his spirit that looks the religious institutionalized churchianity in the face and says, I hear you, but I'm not going to listen to you. You can't help what you hear, but you can help what you listen to. Pastor Todd can't be the only one. Because in order for us to steward what God will begin and continue to release at a higher level, in order for us to steward, this is an us thing. You're not a spectator, you're a participator. You're, you're, you're not merely a witness, you are an invited participant into what the Lord is doing. I love Pastor Todd and I love Pastor Marty and I love Pastor Karen. It's an honor to serve with them. I love Pastor Robbie and I love Pastor Don. I love Pastor Matt Scott. I love the, the servants. I love Pastor Sherry here. I love the staff here. I love all of the people that make the work happen. But my calling is not to sit and watch them do it. My calling is to say, where's my space, Lord? If you're taking a colossal swing at the enemy, put me in your fist and let me ride in that thing with you. So on December 9th, I'm, I'm in my house on December 9th, 2021, and I don't even know what I was doing. Oh, I do know what I was doing. I was reading. I was reading through the Gospel of Luke, and the Holy Spirit stopped me. I didn't, I've never heard the audible voice of God. If y'all have, amen. I've never seen visibly Jesus. If you have, amen. I'd love to. If he can entrust that to me, I'd love for that to happen. But just because I can't see him with my eyes or hear him in the audible with my ears doesn't mean I don't hear and interact with the God of heaven. And I heard him say, as I reached 
this passage of scripture that I want to share with you tonight in Luke chapter 13. I heard him say this. The next time you're welcome to preach at the North Georgia Revival, this is your text. That was on December 9th. And so I sent myself an email because my memory's not awesome. And I sent myself an email and it just said next NGR and I copied and pasted the text I'm about to read you. I didn't understand it then because it's a text we all know and it's, it didn't seem to have any extra on it on December 9th. But how many of you have learned that just obey, God knows what he's doing. Just obey, just obey. I mean, we're so busy trying to figure out God and peek behind the curtain and, and understand everything he's doing that we, we've, we've sophisticated ourselves out of obedience. So I just sent the email and a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Todd asked me to preach and I didn't have to pray about what to preach because it's been in my inbox. And then I found out some things that have been going on. I heard about some things some voices that have been raised up, not by the Lord, but by the enemy to denounce what God is doing here. Not what Pastor Todd is doing. Not what Pastor Marty is doing. Not what Pastor Karen is doing. But they have been raised up by the spirit of religion to denounce what God is doing. And I looked at this passage of Scripture and I said... Well, now I know why on December 9th you told me to preach it. Because here we are about two weeks after that broke, and I'm going to deal with this thing, this topic called When Religion Resists Revival. And I'm going to tell you, it ain't going away. And I'm also going to tell you this. Before we point the finger out at Kentucky or a local county school board, pinpoint individuals that have said certain things just be aware that the enemy thinks that you're a prime target for him to infect with this same thing and so we've got to do second corinthians 10 5 every imagination every imagination anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of god we do radical demo on that stuff before it takes root in our own heart because listen you don't have to have the spirit of religion to be in opposition to revival, all you got to do is come into agreement with doubt. A lot of people that would never speak a word against what God is doing here will come in the door with doubt and leave the door, leave out the doors with doubt. And so what we've got to do is a collective here. This is not um, a rah-rah speech. This is saying, search your heart and let's go to war on this thing. Because re when religion resists revival, let me tell you, religion will ultimately lose. It's a done deal. We're not trying to figure out the outcome here. And I want to be on the side of what God's doing. And I want to fight with all my might. And so pardon me while I take a swing at hell tonight. Because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. Luke 13, verse 10. It's talking about Jesus when it says he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, that means take a look at this. There was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, I'm just going to give you the T.D. Jakes version. Woman, thou art loose. Amen. 
English Standard Version, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. But, here comes the but. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, that means he was furious. Indignant. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He said to the people, notice he didn't direct his comments towards the one who did the healing. Religion doesn't want to mess with power. It just wants to keep people from believing in power. So he said to the people, forgive me, I'm going to do my Pharisee voice. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. And not on the Sabbath day. Now, I'm going to read it normally so you don't get distracted, but listen to the... The absolute, utter foolishness of what he says. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. Say, spirit of religion. He says, don't come on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him. And now, <laughs> he was talking to the people, but Jesus was going to talk to him. You... Hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, daughter of Abraham, now watch this, whom Satan bound for 18 years, ought not she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. If you write in your Bible, you can circle that word shame and just write in the margin, humiliated. That's what the Greek term means. And all the people, all the people whom the Pharisee, the leader of the synagogue, we'll say it that way, leader of the synagogue, all those people he was trying to keep from, from experiencing what Jesus had done, all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Father, I'm asking you now to put oil on my mouth. I'm asking for the oil of liberty and freedom. I'm asking for a high voltage move of God through the word of God. I'm asking, Lord, that any spirit of religion in me or anybody else in this house, Lord, would be exposed to us so we can take it to the cross and watch you crucify it. I'm asking God for those that oppose the North Georgia revival. Lord, I'm asking in mercy simply because they're wrong just like I used to be wrong. That they're blind just like I used to be blind. That they don't know what spirit they're of. And Lord, I know they're convinced that they're doing you a service. I'm asking you, Lord, tame their hearts so you can tame their tongues. Bring them into submission to the fullest aspects of the gospel and let your word reign supreme. And Lord, I'm asking you this. For every single emissary of hell, every foul fallen spirit, every wicked dark angel that has been hiding behind the scenes, lurking, ready to pounce, sowing doubt, even in the hearts of those of us that attend NGR. I'm asking you, Lord, to expose them and crush doubt tonight. 
I'm asking you for the deposit of the 1 Corinthians 12 gift of faith. I'm asking that every person that's been baptized five times with no breakthrough won't be afraid to get in for the sixth time. I'm asking you, Lord, to bring off every single imagination and thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of who you are and what you do. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, be glorified because you're the only king that can set water on fire. Let the fire fall. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going back 2,000 years ago in a very religious scene, and Jesus walks into a synagogue, and he's a teaching rabbi. And he shows up, and he's ready to teach, and we're not told in this passage what he's teaching, but he assumes the position of the teacher on that Sabbath day. The place is filled because they're beginning to know who he is and what he does. It's filled with people that want to see him and people that want to see him so they can pick him apart. And they're already plotting and laying traps for the Son of God, the Messiah, to the Hebrew people. And they're trying to trap him in his words, and they're trying to come up with crafty plans. And it's always funny to me when I read through the Gospels, and you, you see all the religious opposition getting in their unholy huddle, and they say, break! And then they come over there, and Jesus is standing there, and they've got their line, their O-line, and they're coming against him. He's got nothing in between them and him, and they think they got him this time. So they've got this crafty question, and they're going to put something before him, and, and, and he's not going to be able to answer it. And they're going to say, aha! We got him. That's so stupid. Trying to outsmart omniscience. And Jesus just shot blocks him all the time through the Gospels. Y'all are prim and proper. Y'all are like, Jeff, can you be a little nicer? No, I'm not going to be nice tonight. If you want nice, you should have gotten it this morning. You came to the wrong place. Listen, when you're in a season of war, and I'm not talking about Russia and Ukraine, when you're in a season of war, we don't play patty cake. There are times when you extend an olive branch, and there's other times where in the spirit you extend a left hook. And you say to the enemy, I don't want to negotiate with you. I don't want to listen to you. I won't come into agreement with you. As a matter of fact, let's let the word of God expose you. So that everybody will have a chance to find out what what sounds more like the heart of God, religion or revival. So he's there in the synagogue, and he's teaching. Just a real quick plug here. Jesus didn't die for a church that had to pick between the didactic teaching of the Word of God or the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. We created that. First century Christianity is the the authority of the Word and the necessity of the Holy Spirit. And so if you and I are going to be authentic Christians in the 21st century, we need to embrace both. That means we need to eat up the Word of God. If Jesus the rabbi said, I'm going to teach you the Word of God on the Sabbath, and he never changes, that means he's still interested in us learning the Word of God. But on this particular Sabbath day, what's awesome is he actually saw something that he was going to stop teaching for. Doesn't mean he would never teach again. Of course he's going to teach again. But there was somebody in the synagogue that day, probably took every ounce of courage for her to walk in the door. 
The Bible describes her as a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. And she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, I, I, I want to be sensitive here, but I want to be as accurate as I can be. This was a woman who didn't have minor osteoporosis. This is a woman who, the best we can tell, and I tried my best to investigate in the original language, what exactly does this mean? It literally describes somebody who's doubled over. Now, I just want you to look at me for a moment and think 18 years. We don't know how old she was. She was 36. It was half her life. If she was 20, it was almost all of her life. But 18 years. And the Bible says she couldn't straighten herself up. That means, obviously, she tried. She probably was in the same boat as the woman with the issue of blood who tried, spent everything she had going to the doctors. And she couldn't do it. And let me just tell you, there wasn't a medical solution for this woman's dilemma because it wasn't primarily a physical issue. This is something we don't talk a lot about. I'm going to preface it by saying this. Not every physical illness is the result of demonic spiritual attack. Not everyone. Some of them are. Some of them are. That's why we have a holistic ministry where we minister. Where the pastors in the North Georgia Revival minister, the churches sitting in ministers. We don't just move in for physical healing, but we recognize that physical healing is something that is provided for us in the atonement of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we also recognize that there's a demon between the person and that miracle that they need in their body. And this lady was in that exact same place. 18 years. Somehow she brought her bent self into the synagogue. Probably wasn't a popular sight for the ruler of the synagogue that day. He had the most famous rabbi in Israel there to teach that day. And religion being what it was, it likes to keep up appearances. Probably didn't put her on the front row. Probably never even considered that Jesus, the one who had been healing others, might heal her. The ruler of the synagogue is disengaged, at least by absence of what's described here in the scripture. But I love what verse 12 says. Jesus is teaching. And it says, when he saw her. When he saw her. He's teaching. He's got the normal schedule of synagogue activity going on on the Sabbath. He's in the middle of his lesson. And Jesus made a mention of this a couple of times. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only speak what I hear the Father saying. What nobody in that synagogue noticed as Jesus was teaching, the Father said, look at her. Look at the bent one. She's more important, son, in this moment. Then you finish in what you just read from the scroll. And Jesus calls her over to him. He says to her, I see you. And I want you where you are to come to me. There's significance in that to me. 
Because some of us have been so eaten up with extreme doctrines of God's sovereignty that we say, if God's going to heal me, God will heal me. God wants to set me free, God will set me free. If God wants my disease to be gone, God will get my disease out of me. God wants my cancer to be dismissed from my body, God's going to take care of it. And here I am, I'm showing up, and if God wants to zap me with a, a bolt of healing lightning, then I'm willing to do that. And if he doesn't want to, well, then I'm, I'm fine with that because after all, God is sovereign. Now, I'd probably scare you with some of my beliefs about the sovereignty of God, but let me tell you something. God never presents himself as being so sovereign that we become passive. That we sit there and wait for God. Sometimes God looks at you in your bent, stooped over state, and he says, I want you to take a step towards me. Sometimes you come into the revival, and listen, I don't know how many times I've been baptized. I got all sorts of stuff that just needs to be burned off of me in the water. I tell you what, I got in there last week to help a brother. Did y'all see that last Sunday night? I don't know if Sean and Elizabeth are in the room. That brother, woo, glory to God. Rabbit trail, here I go. He had a Baphomet devil's head on his one arm and a, a fallen angel holding a sword on another arm. And Lance Johnson gives the invitation, says, run up here. I didn't know if that was like what preachers do because preachers are like, run up here. He ran. Like he about levitated up here. I mean, he was zoom. He was here before we knew it, fell on the floor and was just, he was filled with demons, filled with them. By the time about four or five of us got back there and we worked with him and we saw those demons, they were manifesting. He was gripping my knees. I was face to face with him and he was gripping my knees. And I'm thinking the dude weighs 115 pounds. He's about to rip my kneecaps off. Straight up power of hell. He's squeezing and we just took time and we... Let the demons, we just reminded them. We didn't have to yell at the demons. We didn't have to, we didn't have to negotiate. We just kept saying, you have to go. This boy belongs to the son of God. We decree the blood of Jesus Christ over this temple. And you can't stay in a temple that's dedicated to the son of God. And then Sean confessed with his mouth. He came out of it for about 20 years. He confessed Jesus Christ is Lord. And he convulsed for a minute. And I was just saying, boys, we're not going to scream. We're not going to scream. They said, we don't have to. We just kept saying, you've got to go. You've got to go until they went. And he looked up and I was like, I've been looking at this guy for 25, 30 minutes. And I hadn't seen that face before. That's the face of somebody that just got set free. You see, sometimes you have to run. Sometimes you have to bring your stooped self in the spirit. Sometimes you got to drag what has dragged you, and you got to come one more time. And you don't cop out on the back row saying, if God wanted to heal me, he would have done it the last time I got in the water. If God wanted to deliver me, he would have done it the last time I asked. If God, Listen, we don't write the script for God. We sign whatever script he writes, and we're happy to be in it anywhere on the page. So he says, woman, come up here. And then he says, I just like the way Jesus ministers. He just looks at her and he says, you're freed from your disability. He didn't do this. He didn't say, all right, everybody, y'all check this out. Here we go.
Theatrics are necessary when you don't have power. So Jesus just looks at her. No, he didn't, he didn't say a word to the demon. He didn't even talk to the demon. And he just said, daughter, you're free. And then I love this. He puts his hands on her, verse 13. And the Bible says immediately she was made straight. So listen, just let the Bible say what it is. And by the way, if you don't believe in that anymore, I challenge you, my biblical scholar opposition, Show me in the Bible where the Bible's the Bible that you believe says that this doesn't happen anymore. Hey, I want, I want to give you something. Do you know there's not a, and this is coming from a guy whose uh, thesis for his master's of divinity was, was this. Can you come to a position of cessationism by employing a sola scriptura hermeneutic? <laughs> so boring. But what that means is this. Can you prove in the Bible that the gifts have stopped? There's not a single verse in the Bible, not a single verse in the Bible that says the gifts are done. Not a single verse. Oh, you can misquote 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10 all you want to do. But if you'll read the rest of that chapter, you'll find out that that hasn't happened yet. You know when healing stops, when we don't need to be healed anymore. You know when tongues stop, when we don't need tongues anymore. You know where prophecy stops? When we don't need prophecy anymore. And you know the Bible says? It's when the perfect one comes back here. That's when all of that stops. So until then, get used to it. And get in on it. See, I'm coming against some of y'all's doubt right now. I'm just coming. I'm, listen, I'm just swinging wildly. I feel like I got a blindfold on. I'm going to swing. I'm going to hit something. But listen, the, the, the way the enemy works is, he, and again, he doesn't want you to know he's working. So he whispers. He whispers. Not everybody gets healed. You don't need to get in the water. There's a lot of people that have been in the water that haven't gotten healed. It's probably all lights and cameras. It's probably, it's probably um, exaggerated testimonies. Tell that to Lorraine. Stage for cancer. Tell that to Tate, who couldn't have a conversation a while back and had a, a conversation with Pastor Todd. What's, what's the little girl's name? The, the, the Blair, with her left ear. Got healed in 2018, got fully healed. Tell it to Pastor Louisiana right here. He just did a John Travolta move that he couldn't done back in the day. By the way, I had Raynaud syndrome in my hands where my hands were in pain 24-7. Couldn't sleep at night. Got so, finally got so sick of it. Got cloths filled with Dawsonville fire water. Laid them on my hands. Had some people at my church pray over me. And my hands haven't hurt me since that day. So you go ahead with your Ph.D., PhD in that case stands for perfectly hopeless doubt. Amen. So Jesus calls her over and he says, woman, you're freed from your disability. He puts his hands on her. 
And I like what the Bible says in verse 13. I'm going to keep going back to the Bible. I love my Bible. It says, she glorified God. <laughs> now we hear that and we think, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Or maybe she just said, well, thank you, Master. This has been a nuisance to me, but thank you. Now, back to your teaching. Back to your teaching. If you'll trace that word in the Greek through your New Testament, Kaneo students, if you trace that word, you're going to find most often when it's used, it is attached to a high level of emotional breakthrough. Joy, exclamation, praise. I believe if I've been stooped for 18 years and I get my spine back, I'm going to do a little bit of holy dance. Amen. I believe I've got to run a little bit. I believe I've got to shout a little bit. I believe I'm going to get my worship on. Hallelujah. And I don't think I'm going to ask anybody's permission to do it. Woo! <laughs> she didn't ask anybody's permission. Nor did Jesus. And guess what? He totally messed up the Sabbath service. Nobody minded except one dude. And he happened to be the guy in charge. So, hold your nose and let's take a look at him. So she's shouting. She's healed. Jesus is getting glorified. Listen, I mean, <laughs> that didn't happen all the time in the Sabbath. And the ruler of the synagogue, verse 14, indignant, indignant. I mean, it, I, I like that. It doesn't even say mad. Mad would be one thing, but it's indignant. It's nose up in the air where you can count his nose hairs. Frown. Look like he had a transfusion with a lemon. But he doesn't have the spine to say a word to the son of God. So he looks around and his whole issue. Now, guys, here's the whole issue. He's not mad that she got healed. He's mad that she got healed on the Sabbath. Because on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do work. And that was part of the Mosaic law. Jesus didn't come and say, ah, we're just blowing off the Sabbath. No big deal. Jesus came to fulfill the Sabbath. And this man is so wrapped up in his policy that he missed his purpose. What's his purpose? To lead people into a deeper knowledge of God. That's what a synagogue ruler, at least attached to what his authority and his position would have been. And he's got God in the pulpit. And he's mad. Because God the Son did something that he didn't understand, he couldn't control, he couldn't explain, and he would never replicate. And so here he is, mad as fire. I'm going to make a confession. If y'all got a little curtain, I'll get behind it, and somebody can stand on the other side, I'll confess it to you. I'll just confess it to all of you right here. I kind of like it when religious-spirited people get mad at God. I do. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll repent if I need to, but I'm just going to say, 
When the Lord exposes a religious spirit and they can't, they, they're so religious, they know they're not allowed to get mad at God, so they get mad at everything else. I mean, how are you going to be mad at what God's doing in Dawson County, Georgia? How are you going to get mad at that? How are you going to get mad out of demons leaving people? Marriages being restored. Addictions being snapped. Bodies being healed. A little boy who couldn't see going under the water and the next thing I see is a video of him hitting a home run on a baseball field. How are you going to get mad at that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> How are you going to get mad at people that were bound in the shackles of depression and now they're on the worship team? How are you going to get upset at that? What's wrong with you? So, Jeff, who are you yelling at? Anybody that needs to be yelled at? <laughs> well, I mean, no, I mean, I think it's a legitimate question. I'm going to tone down for a moment. I'm going to go back, but for a moment, just what's wrong with people? Well, Jeff, I just don't believe God works that way. Okay. Bravo. Did you sit down with somebody that got delivered in the waters and ask them what they thought? Because it's easy to fire shots three states away or 80 miles away at another, another, another church in your city. It's easy to post a two-hour video that was nothing but verbal vomit. It's easy to do that. You know what takes guts? Humbling yourself and saying, God is bigger than I can imagine. And God reserves the right to bless people who think differently than I do theologically. <laughs> What's wrong with folks, man? Good night. Whew. So he says in verse number 14. He's, now he, he's teaching. And here's his lesson. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Ma'am, you should have come on one of those days to be healed. And if any of you other ones are thinking about getting healed today, it's Sabbath day. You come next week. That's what he's saying. You don't think she wanted to be healed the day before? You don't think she wanted to be healed the year before or the decade before? And you got the rule keeper who's made himself the scorekeeper now acting like the gatekeeper. And the Lord Jesus just didn't even ask his permission. And so he's not going to talk to Jesus. He's going to get control of the situation. Because Jesus has done messed up the rhythms of how things operated in that synagogue. And so he tells everybody, hey, no, 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 no. That's not how we do things around here. This is outside of our theological grid. Uh, my interpretation of the word doesn't allow for this kind of thing to happen. So Jesus gets intense with the religious spirit. Then the Lord answered him. You hypocrites. 
And then he says, I'm going to bust you down with some facts. Does not each of you, by the way, that lets you know there were people in the synagogue that agreed with what the synagogue leader was doing. That's their home synagogue. If my leader, my home synagogue says it's wrong, I'm, I'm with him. So Jesus pluralizes everything. He says, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? You know, he's doing, he's, he's speaking from omniscience. He might just be speaking from being reasonable. He's saying, hey, Johan over there. When your donkey was in the ditch last Sabbath, I saw what you did. It took you two hours to get that, that ox out of the ditch. That was all, you were sweating. You were exerting effort. And I guess the guy running the show here didn't walk by that day, or maybe he did, and maybe he helped you get the ox out of the ditch because that's what is permissible under the law. So my professor, the best teacher I've ever sat under in my life, her name is Pastor Karen Smith, and I'd say that 100%. 100%. She gave me a nugget, and I'm going to... I, I was tempted to use it and make y'all think I was that smart, but I'm not. I'm just plagiarizing her. So if you speak Hebrew, you may know this term. It's Sar Bahala Chaim. Sar Bahala Chaim. Or Bahale Chaim. And this is an exception to the normal observation of Sabbath restrictions if the greater principle of life or welfare of an animal was in jeopardy. So in other words, there was a provision that all of the Hebrew leaders knew that if the life or the welfare of a very important animal was at stake, you're allowed to rescue the animal. You're allowed to do that. And everybody knew it. And the Son of God is sitting there saying, you will just go after your ox or your donkey in the ditch, but you're a bunch of hypocrites. Because you're mad that this daughter of Abraham, who, who's been bound by Satan for 18 years, just got free. That's the one thing about the spirit of religion. If you just trace it down, you're going to find out it is completely inconsistent. They'll major on this, and then they'll be like, no, nah, that's not important. They cherry pick the word of God. They write their own Bible. If it doesn't fit with their theological grid, they just ignore those passages. Believe, hey, listen, I told you I used to be one. I was preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians as a cessationist one time, and I got to chapters 12, 13, and 14. I was praying for the rapture. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to go through this stuff because I don't know if I've really, I really, I was being weaned off of cessationism. But I had to figure out, how do I make my doctrine that the gifts, gifts have ceased, how do I make that stand on, on, on two legs? And, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> so he says I'm glad you get your donkey and your ox out of the ditch that's fine I'm not upset about that but why are you mad that this daughter of Abraham a daughter of the covenant a woman made in the Imago Dei the image of God who suffered for 18 years and notice this it says up in verse number um Verse number 11, that she had a disabling spirit, unless you think that was just, you know, flowery language. Jesus gets real precise. He says, 
This woman's been bound by Satan. Her physical affliction was the result of a spiritual attack. It was a demonic assault under the authority of the dark prince, the evil one, not Batman, the, the evil one, who had bound her. I'm going to give you something here, and I know my time's running out, but bear with me here. Let me tell you what Jesus does. Isaiah 61, Luke chapter 4. Jesus comes to set captives free. Jesus read the scroll in synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. It was our Isaiah chapter 61. He proclaimed good news to the poor. Set the captives free. Proclaim the year of Jubilee. So when you hear a captive getting set free, I want you to picture in your mind the Son of God by divine decree and divine power snapping chains off the hands and the feet and the necks of people. Snapping chains. Snapping chains. Snapping them. Like thick gauge spiritual chains that nothing else can snap. And Jesus says, you're done with those. Ma'am, you are free from your, your disability. I break that off of you. And the chains snap. Let me tell you what religion does. Religion lengthens the chains. They'll let you move around a little bit. You're, you're, you're not as enslaved as you once were, at least in your mind, because you got a little freedom. And you just get used to walking with that chain. You, you're, you're not free. You're under the illusion of being free because you're walking a little better than you used to, be, to walk. You go a little farther than you used to go. And religion says, just keep listening to us and watching us, and you may not notice that you're still chained up. And Jesus doesn't compromise with the spirit of religion because he, he came to set people completely 100% free. Don't manage your sin anymore. Get in the water tonight and get it broken off of you. Stop managing your addiction. By the way, I not only was a Pharisee, I was an addict and a drunk. That may embarrass some of you, but I spent 1984 to 1994 in full bondage to alcohol and drug. Got delivered in an instant. Like gone, completely gone. God didn't want to lengthen the chain. He wanted the chain off of Jeff Lyle because he didn't come to lengthen religious chains. He came to set captives free. Get in the water tonight. Said so Jeff already got baptized. Get in again. Get in again. So Jesus says, hope you don't mind, but I'm a healer on this Sabbath day. Just like you'd get your donkey, your ox out of the ditch. I'm not here to apologize that I just broke the power of the devil off of this daughter of Abraham. And then verse 17, I'm, 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 I'm done. As he said this, these, these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame. Jesus didn't walk into the synagogue that day to bring people into humiliation. But when they exalted their policy over his purpose, he says, I'm going to have to humble you. When you bow up and try to keep enslaved what I came to set free, you're going to be humiliated. And all of the adversaries, you talk about an awkward moment in church. 
That guy just gave his speech, won't look Jesus in the eye, and Jesus takes like 15 seconds, uses the very law that this man is trying to protect. He's, you know, the leader of the synagogue is the self-appointed defender of the faith, trying to protect the people from the power of God. And I'm just feeling that right now. I mean, it's just, it's just insane to me how spiritual leaders and pastors spend two hours denouncing a move of God instead of getting on their face and saying, God, why is nobody ever healed in my church? Why are marriages not being restored in my church? How come autism doesn't get busted off of people in my church? Lord, how come, how come demons don't even mess with my church? Well, maybe it's because you're cooperating with them. So every now and then, every now and then, this is not my normal demeanor, but I told you I was mad and I'm still mad. I'm getting madder. Every now and then, every now and then, you just got to say, all right, fellas, no holds barred. Pastoral protocol and diplomacy and Mr. Sweet Pants, nice guy. We gave him the weekend off. And sometimes you just got to take off your, your pastor's gown Put on your, your camel hair prophet's garb. Itchy, scratchy, provocative, irritating, uncomfortable. Because nothing changes if we stay comfortable. Nothing changes. Comfort, comfort is the anesthesia to the church. We've gone under and it's time to come out from under it. We've been under it too long, and so every now and then we just got to recognize Jesus steps in and he says, I'm not going to perpetuate your religious views. And by the way, I, I check my heart all the time for him. I'm sure I've got a little tiny little Pharisee still running around in my heart somewhere saying, I want to run the show again. I want to run the show again. I want to run the show again. He's probably in there somewhere. I just chase him down with Roman spikes and a Roman cross and say, if you'll just stand still a minute, I'm going to crucify you. Because my heart belongs to the Son of God and he doesn't negotiate with a religious spirit. So I'm wrapping up. I say that three times and it means it on the third time, so I'm done. We have to, we have to recommit as a people. I'm talking to this house. You're, you may be a part of a, other local churches. I'm talking to this house. You and I, who are part of the North Georgia Revival, we have to recommit to praying for the leadership. Pastors Todd, Karen, Pastors uh, Marty and Paula, Pastor Sherry, the host pastors, Pastor Don Allen, Robbie Mathis, Matt Scott, and others that come here. We have to we have to pray and we have to say, Lord, put steel in their spine. They're taking arrows behind the scene. I'm going to tell you something, man. Ooh. I don't like people messing with Karen Smith. There's something about being a dude. We're, we're used to it. When you come up against a woman of God who wants nothing more than to divide, uh, rightly divide the word of truth, 
and you start keyboard jockeying, throwing little grenades from a different state or a different county, what's wrong with you? Well, we can't hunt, hunt down all of those that are the sheriffs of Christiantown. It's not worth our time. We can, we can bring them low by prayer. If they'd ever give us a one-on-one, -on -one, I'm telling you, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having to resort to speaking. I, they probably won't even listen to this. They know who they are. I offered one-on-one -on -one with the fellow in Kentucky. Radio silence. So you can't hunt down all of that, but what we can do is recognize this. We don't primarily wrestle against flesh and blood, that there is a spirit behind it. So what do we do? Let's just go full bore for signs, wonders, miracles, healings, deliverances. Let's just do it. If we're not going to do it, who else is going to do it, right? And have we not come too far to quit? I ain't quitting. I'm looking for an uptick, hallelujah. And I'm looking for it to begin tonight. I'm looking for some of it to begin right there in your life. I'm looking for you to say, I'm sick and tired of the voice of doubt running the show. And maybe I didn't have my breakthrough last time. Maybe it didn't happen two times ago. But in the name of Jesus, I'm in the room tonight. The pools are filled. The Holy Ghost is here. And we can tonight take a swing at the enemy and say, Lord, do it again. Don't you tell me he won't do it. Don't you tell me he won't do it. Don't you tell me he won't do it. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I'm going to release the baptism teams to get ready. If you're in group number A, you need to get ready. Don't come up yet, but just get ready. Whew. I'm ready to get in the pool. There's a spirit that disabled that woman. I want you to come into agreement with me right now. This is audience participation. It won't take long at all. We're not going to scream. We're not going to stomp. I don't do that with the enemy. We're going to come into agreement. We're going to bind disabling spirits. We're going to use the authority that we have through the blood of Jesus, through the throne of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And I just want you to agree with me. Let's be so calm that it makes the enemy nervous. Father, for the glory of Jesus Christ, we use what you've given us and we bind the spirit of infirmity and affliction. Further, by faith we place a muzzle of fire on the mouth of every demon of doubt. I ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that if any demon is stubborn and thinks that it can stay, send it into the pit before it's time. In the name of Jesus, I command every demon in the room, you are exposed. You're exposed. The blood of Jesus is against you. And the Lord rebuke you, Satan.
the Lord rebuke you. We evict out of this physical house every lingering spirit and any spirit inhabiting the temple of anyone in this room. Your eviction notice has come. You must leave. Disabling spirits, release your prisoners in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Release them. And Father, we now ask you, you're the one who ignited the water. We get in by faith. Do the work that you've been doing for 214 straight weeks. Do it again, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the CFC altar team to come forward. Um, Pastor Todd, can I turn it back over to you? Would you come rescue me? We're going to open up the altars after group A starts coming forward. And if you have need of prayer, listen, I'm pointing you to the baptistries tonight. But I also want to let you know if you don't go there, there's a group of people that are vetted and approved by this house to take care of you. Maybe you don't know why you need to come forward, but you know you need to come forward. You can trust these people right here. You can trust them. It's time to start trusting somebody. They'll point you to the one who has all the answers and all the power and all the healing. But Jesus called that woman over and he said, come to me. Come to me. He wanted a small step of faith and look what happened to her. Pastor Todd.